AP News over the next hour, and we'll be right back. We've got a giveaway from the SPCA we'll be announcing in one minute right after these messages. We want to take this opportunity to thank CJMP sustaining members. You make community radio strong in Powell River, and we couldn't do it without you. Sustaining members help us keep the lights on and the dial lit on 9.1. Thank you for supporting independent media and local music. This has been a message from the Powell River Community Radio Society. Hey, Angelisa, you know what's waste-free? What? Radio. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I guess we don't just eat and buy local, we can listen local too. CJMP 90.1 FM or stream at cjmp.ca. Listen for your fix of homegrown GMO-free news, talk, and tunes. This is CJMP News for Friday, December the 9th. We're broadcasting from our Powell River studio on the coast of the Salish Sea and the traditional territory of the Tiramin people. On today's show, we look at food security and farming on the Sunshine Coast. And we'll be talking to Robert Gilchrist of Funky Beats Farm, a member of the Powell River Farmers Institute. Uh, he made several remarks at council recently on November the 29th regarding the region's lack of farming strategy. But first, we're going to announce the winners of the SBCA Fall Raffle. And right now we are joined by Rosalind Borman of the SBCA. And without further ado, hi Rosalind. Hi, thanks for having me. Welcome. And why don't you go ahead and just tell us who are the winners of these prizes? Sure. Um, we've got eight great prizes going on here, so I'm going to get some help from everybody here to pick the winners. And I guess I'll just read off the, the prize before we pick each winner. So without further ado, we'll start with we've got eight prizes. So the eighth prize is a $100 gift certificate, which was uh, donated by The Cut Hairstyling. So if I can get uh, someone to help me with that. Oh, you've got a giant bin full of names. I do. We've, we sold probably about 2,000 tickets. So uh, wow. you've got, I don't know, eight chances out of 2,000 to have your name picked. You bring that in. Okay, and we've got the name picked out. And the first one is? Yes, so the eighth prize, $100 gift certificate to the cut hairstyling, goes to Wendy Westgate. Wendy, congratulations. And we're starting with the eighth. That's no, the eighth, So yeah, that's so. a good prize. You've got seven to go. Yeah, they... Uh, yeah, they go up in value from here. So the seventh prize is one night's accommodation for two in a one-bedroom suite at the Old House Village Hotel and Spa in Courtney. Oh, and this is a yellow ticket. So uh, in case anyone's keeping track, the white ones were three for $10 and the yellow ones were $5 each. So the seventh prize, one night accommodation at the Old House Village and Spa, goes to April Agnew. Okay, April. Woohoo. And the, you said these are going to be um, announced as well on your Facebook page? The yep, the so yeah, we'll have the winners on our Facebook page as well, and everybody will get a phone call probably on Monday. Okay, so the sixth prize is one night stay in a safari tent at Ruby Lake Resort, plus dinner for two at La Trattoria Italiana, plus a two-hour canoe rental. And the sixth prize goes to Audrey Hill. And here we go, so Russell, 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 Audrey. Here. Yes. Uh, yes uh, <laughs> here we go. So you can dig one up this time. <laughs> so the the fifth prize is two nights accommodation for two in an oceanfront suite at Texada Shores B and B on Texada Island. And let me rummage my hand in here. So we've got the fifth prize going to 
Jen Lundgren. Jen. Jen. Great. Okay. So that's half the prizes. We've got uh, four to go. So fourth prize is three nights accommodation for two at Desolation Sound Resort out in Oakover Inlet, plus a $100 gift certificate to the Laughing Oyster Restaurant. Thank you for drawing. This one goes to, fourth prize goes to Al Hudson. Al Hudson. Congratulations. Okay, three. We're the top three prizes here. So the third prize is two nights accommodation for two in a deluxe studio suite at the Weston Resort and Spa in Whistler. And that prize, third prize, goes to Heather Anderson. Great. Okay, so second prize is a round. Make this a good one. Yeah, <laughs> second prize is a round trip airfare for two from Powell River to Vancouver, courtesy of Pacific Coastal, plus one night's accommodation for two at Accents Inns, either in Burnaby or Vancouver. And that second prize goes to Shauna Harry. Shauna Harry won second place. Congratulations. Okay, Great. Now, dun, 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 okay. and now we've, the got, drum roll, we've right? got audio for this. <laughs> okay. First place. All right. First prize. One night stay for f or one week's stay for four at Savory Island Retreat. Plus round trip water taxi and land taxi to and from Lund to Savory. So this is the big grand prize, and it's going to Gina Wood. Gina Wood, congratulations. Ooh, from Lund. That's <laughs> 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 so oh. just a hop, skip, and a jump from home. So congratulations. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming in and reading those off. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, everyone who bought tickets. Um, all the money raised stays here in Powell River to help all the animals in our community. So I thank you all for participating this year. And thank you and good luck. And uh, we'll be in touch with all the winners shortly. Okay, great. Sounds good, Rosalind. Thanks so much for coming in. And now we're going to play a bit of music before we talk to Rob Gilchrist, who's waiting in the green room right now. And, and we'll uh, right should mention today's show is hosted by Carrie Swigham oh. and I'm Roger Thorne. That's me. That's you. Yeah, that's Thanks, me. Roger, for being here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it, here's a little bit of music for you. Because I can't hear anything. <laughs> Ooh, we've gone silent. Well, that's not all bad news. No, no, we've because got we've got plenty of other things to talk about here. Yes. And we've got other cables to plug in. <laughs> when one goes wrong, I can hear it. And we're going to try it on a different plug-in jack now. Okay. And still nothing? Strange. Um, it could well be my system here, so we could totally ignore the whole thing and just carry on with everything else. Okay. Well, that's interesting. No, I've got it. Oh, well. Let's carry on. So, okay. All right. Can you tell us about the weather? Uh, I certainly can. At least today. I think I've got that one organized. Okay. Um, current conditions in Powell River are one degree centigrade. Uh, snow mixed with the rain expected for the rest of the day, and then rain mixed with snow later on tonight probably for a temperature of zero degrees. Uh, tomorrow, Saturday, December the 10th, uh, we'll probably be uh, probably the same stuff and turning to showers at night 
um, for the rest of the weekend, similar and following during the rest of the week, a mix of sun and cloud, uh, clear with uh, temperatures dropping quite low at night to a potential of 10 to 12 degrees, minus 10 to 12 degrees. Oh, we'll say 10 to 12 isn't that cold, but minus. Minus 10 to 12, yeah. Okay. Um, I, and I know Brooks was open today. A lot of schools were closed on the island, but sounds like... Yes, yeah, so they had a, a lot m- more snowfall on the island and in Vancouver than we actually did in this neighborhood here, so... Okay. Say, um, uh, it's not such a bad thing we can't get the music to play because that means we get more time with Rob. Uh, he's not listening. Anyways, um, <laughs> I'm just going to play a quick piece of music while we get him in here. And Let's we'll see right if back. we can get this playing. Okay, so uh, if you're stuck inside and uh, don't have much to do, there's a, here's a whole bunch of surveys you can probably go to. Uh, there's the Cool Home Project, and I don't actually know. Where can you find that? Oh, so that was info that I got in my inbox this morning from Janet Southcott, but I will um, bring up that info for you okay. quickly. This is a... Um, this is from the Climate Action Paul River Society, and they invite you to join in. Um, it's a program to reduce your household carbon footprint, and it's called Cool Homes Paul River. Uh, they're looking for 50 households to take part in 2017. They currently have 20 signed up, and they're looking for more. So if you're interested, get in touch with them, and it'll explain more about what the program is. But it sounds like it's uh, free. So if you are just curious to kind of what your carbon footprint is, um, you can email coolhomes.pr at gmail.com. And uh, the, another one is a reminder of Green Shores for Homes Pilot, a project by the regional district. Uh, there's also a solid waste management survey. There's a CGMP listener survey. And uh, if you really want to have fun, you can go on to the uh, uh, mydemocracy.ca, which is uh, if you happen to receive a little postcard in the mail by uh, the government of Canada about uh, it's supposed to be about uh, a proposed new elections procedure, but it's become an absolute shamble. So anyway, if you go and check that one out, it's laughable and uh, it's a sheer mockery of what should go on anyway well that's i mean 
something for something called mydemocracy.ca. That's kind of sad that it's, it is such a shambles, as you say. I haven't gone to the website and seen the survey, but I imagine it's a, just looking at the first question a bit convoluted. Um, yeah, it doesn't actually ask you any questions on there about what sort of preferred uh, uh, election procedure or uh, you would want to have. So, well, it's you know, if they're I guess they're making a um, an effort of trying to get uh, feedback from citizens. So, if you are inclined to tell the government your two cents, maybe just log in and take that survey. We can do that. Anyway, <laughs> uh, let's play this little bit of music and then we'll get into it with uh, Rob. Can we try that one again? Yes, let's try your music. Okay, here we go. I'm gonna be round my vegetables. I'm gonna chow down my vegetables. I love you most of all. My favorite vegetable. That apparently was the Beach Boys. <laughs> I guess they know a lot about vegetables. <laughs> Thanks for bringing those tunes in today, by the way, co-host, regular slack-tide programmer on Sundays from 10 to noon. Oh, yeah. Well, you're welcome when we got them to play. All right. <laughs> Take the mute button off. Well, right now we've got Robert Gilchrist in the studio. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. From uh, Funky Beach Farm. That's right. And uh, so, uh, just to kick off, uh, so what, uh, what had attracted you to the farming? Um, well, I'm a chef by trade, and so I was just trying to be more connected to my food system and started growing food just for my friends and my family and was having trouble finding a good uh, source of income in Powell River. So I just started farming, and I've been pegging away at the farm for five years now. 
So, and you know, support grows every year yeah. bit by bit. So it's been awesome. So when we get into the, go ahead. When we get into the, the, the meat of the subject. So the city has just announced that they're not going to uh, follow through on the incubation farm project. Uh, so can you give us a bit more on your feelings about why this shouldn't go ahead? Hold, hold on, hold on. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let's set this up so we know why. Why is he here? Um, so Robert uh, spoke at Committee of the Whole November 29th, I understand. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, so and I was there, I recorded what you said. Um, I usually record the meetings and if there's something that's particularly juicy or interesting, um, I like to play it for our audience so we know what was said. Um, so can we just start there and then we can go from there? Totally. Okay. Cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Same question when we get back. You weren't there, Roger. So now mm. you'll now no, you can listen. I heard. To it. It. I've heard it already, though. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll be right back. It's four minutes long. Um, we're limited limited in our capacity to find consistent lines of distribution in the area due to accessibility, willing markets, and a low level of food literacy in the region. Uh, most farms in the area that are outside of the municipality struggle to find a clean, reliable source of irrigation water. Uh, other obstacles include the fact that we cannot sell Class D certified meats outside of the regional district, uh, restricting our ability to build relationships with willing clientele and advancing our business. Uh, first, I'm curious how the city came to the conclusion that the incubator farm is a good viable idea and how this project aims to advance agriculture in the region. We only need to look at the community food assessment report to see many of the obstacles facing farmers in the region. I'd hope that from such a well-gathered paper, the government would look at ways to increase interest in locally produced food and not create competition to it. As a young farmer who looks to his community and government for support, I was taken aback that the city would be interested in conducting agricultural business within the community when there are already so many obstacles facing present-day farmers. There appears to be a deep disconnect between the city, the Farmers Institute, the Agricultural Association, and local farmers. The fact that none of these <clears throat> groups were consulted on a project that would have direct implications on these businesses speaks volumes towards that disconnect. These institutions have a deep history in this region, and although most of the farms in this area are outside of the municipality, the mouths we feed and the dollars we spend happen mostly inside the city. The incubator farm model is not a model advocated by the young agrarians of Canada. Instead, they advocate for land sharing and land linking through workshops, that put, aging <clears throat> that put aging farmers and landowners, landowners with underutilized land in touch with willing agrarians. The landowners receive, in <clears throat> receive income for the use of their land, as well as tax credits for the land being in production. The agrarians have access to affordable land and security in the form of a lease. Powell River already boasts some of the cheapest real estate in the lower portion of the province, and is probably a huge reason why we have seen an influx of young agrarians move to the region and start farms. The city can make <clears throat> strides in advancing agriculture in the region by working closely with farmers and agricultural groups to devise agricultural area plans, farmland trusts, and other sustainable land use practices that will keep the area's farmland in production and out of the hands of development and non-agricultural usage. Furthermore, drawing parallels to Halliburton Farm in an effort to show viability for the incubator farm project are unfounded. There are close to 800,000 permanent residents in Vancouver Island and 344,000 in Victoria. Vancouver Island receives 7.9 million visitors per year, accounting for $1.3 billion in spending. The average family income in Victoria is $79,000, while in Powell River it's 60400 
it is clear to see that there is major demographic differences between the two regions that would make it unfair to draw any comparisons. Local agriculture is only minimally to moderately supported in the region. I feel that major increases can be made by creating municipally funded centralized marketplace as well as education campaigns to increase consumer awareness around affordability and accessibility of locally produced foods. We will not change the landscape of food security overnight, but by working together and creating and enacting policy that protects farmland, educates the public, and increases access to locally produced food for low middle class citizens, we can work towards a bountiful food secure future. It has been shown through many cities across Canada that farmers markets are an important part of the community for economic, social, and environmental vitality. I would hope that moving forward, the city will look to work closely with the Farmers Institute, the Agricultural Association, and other prudent stakeholders to devise a plan that will advance already existing agricultural projects in the region, as well as work towards a municipally funded centralized market that works for all parties involved. Thank you, and I hope for amicable solutions to help grow and advance Powell River's food industry now and in the future. So, so that was Our, Rob. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> that was Rob Gilchrist speaking at council November 29th. I'm jumping at Take the it bit. Away, Roger. <laughs> okay, we're off. Um, as reported in the peak, the article in the peak uh, uh, about the cancellation of this uh, project and uh, your response to it. You uh, differ to what was actually reported. So, can you explain that to us? Yeah, I guess uh, the article came across to me as farmers were not in support of the program because they did not want to have competition. And that's not the case. It was more a situation that there was no consultation with the Agricultural Association or the Farmers Institute around the project. And that's what their letters were trying to clarify, <clears throat> excuse me, that they weren't that they weren't consulted on the project. And I was just trying to enlighten the city as to the current state of agriculture support in the region and that it is not supported at this time. And there's other avenues we can take to try to build support before we jump into a project uh, as substantial as a project like the incubator farm. So well, can you elaborate on some of those actual things which should, be, should have been attended to? Um, well, yeah, I think first and foremost, they should have consulted with the Agricultural Association. Um, the association's made up of farmers, so they have a history of knowing <clears throat> what the plights, the flights of people are in the region around agriculture. So um, if you don't speak to farmers, then you're kind of building a blind plan. So for me, like I feel moving the market to a more centralized location would really help with advancing agriculture. Uh, the market is kind of in an out-of-the-way area, and a lot of people don't know where it is. So having something more centralized could would help increase uh, capacity for people to attend, I think. Uh, and, of course, it's difficult unless you actually have transport yourself to get to. Yeah, totally. Like, I've had people come and tell me that it's classist, that it's inaccessible. Uh, some people, I've had a person tell me that they lived here for 10 years before they even knew the market existed. So, you know, these are these are issues that that do stop agriculture but i i think it's deeper than that i think that there's there's a a, a level of poverty in powell river that people fail to recognize and and you do have middle class and some upper class people but you also have uh, a low level of food literacy and i think the community food assessment talks about that in great detail and and i i hope that the city would have looked into that report a little more than they did before 
they tried to go ahead with this project. So, um, well, how would you define what is local, low local food literacy? Uh, is that where to get it or how to go about what I think I think it has to do with diet I think it has to do with uh, how to access the food I think it has to do with a misconception around the pricing of local food uh, a lot of people think that local food is overpriced and people can't afford it um, I, I don't really think that's the case always I think that when things are in peak season that they're competitive with the grocery store uh, yeah, sorry I'm, I'm curious um, Rob can you just tell us like you said you got into farming by um, growing your own, selling it, or giving it to friends, maybe selling it to friends as well. Selling, yeah. How did you um, come to have this farm? Was it like a, it's a hard process to, to start up here? Uh, well, for me, yeah, it was, I was renting property. So um, there was not actual farmed land on the property when I started there. I've cleared the land myself. And I, I just have a love for growing food. And it's kind of been my healthy addiction for the last, you know, five or six years of my life. So, okay. I ask because I know it's hard for young people to get into farming in general. Like I've, I come from a farming family. Roger was a farmer, shellfish farmer. Um, it's really hard to get into without, I think, being in a family that already has land. Um, how hard was it to find land here? Uh, well, in that situation, it was quite easy for me because uh, I was renting the property already and I, I was working with my landlord who was allowing me to clear the land. But I, I think it's pretty self-evident if you go to the market now that the market is uh, dominated by farmers under the age of 40. So there are young farmers in the region and Powell River actually has some of the cheapest land in the province. So, you know, people are trying to come here to farm. I think that there's things that the city can do to try to make that easier, like creating farm trusts, like I said in my letter, uh, things to protect farmland so that prices don't increase as much for future generations because I think we are starting to see uh, real estate prices are going up here and especially those three to five acre properties are being bought up and people are paying more money for them. Uh, well, yes, coming from, coming from a slightly different farm background myself, it was a lot easier uh, many, many years ago to actually get into it and I can see the difficulties now because of costs etc etc um i'm actually surprised that a, a lot of local landowners uh who don't actually use their farm or farmlands anymore don't open them up i guess that's their choice they choose not to well i, I think that's education too and i know the young agarians they they advocate for far, uh, land sharing and farm access so where they put farmers or landowners in touch with willing agrarians and they do networking to kind of op open up that space to let new farmers into usable land because there is a lot of underproduced farmland in the area that's just sitting foul as grass right so yeah but on the other side of it i can understand the position where you know somebody who's had maybe had that farm and grown older they they want to realize that as they want to be able to turn that over as their uh, retirement income <laughs> yeah really. definitely so they're in a difficult position to do they're not going to say maybe want to tie up the land no totally and i think that if if you work if working with the municipality in the regional district and creating things like uh, farm area plans which was another recommendation that i made that moving forward then people who own those farmlands won't be able to realize those 
you know, huge increases and gains on their land and it will protect the farmland for future generations. Like we can't just think about farming tomorrow. We have to think about farming 50 years from now and 100 years from now. Oh, absolutely. And, and, yeah. and we didn't do that, uh, you know, from the 40s on. And, and look where Powell River ended up. I heard a statistics that Powell River used to be 76% food sustainable here. And I think it's around two to four percent now. At so. the mo- and if you know the ferry shut down for a few days, it's yeah, going to yeah. be bad. We'd be eating each other. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, do you think you got that percentage from this um, food sustainability report or food assessments report? I'm just curious. I'm not sure where I got it okay. from. <laughs> I know. I well, I know it, it was at least fifty or sixty percent in this area. I know that. Mm. I and I can't say where I got that number for sure either. So. Generally, it was big. There was, you know, there was dairy farms here, uh, meat production, um, vegetable production, fruit production, and that was pretty much the same all the way up and down the coast here. Hmm. Well, there, here's um, something from the city's economic development strategy of 2015, and um, we've only got a few more minutes left, but uh, one of the strategies is uh, to work with local producers and organizations uh, to establish a long-term strategy for local sustainable production and distribution, um, as well as an investment attraction strategy that promotes Pearl River as a destination cluster for protected stock. Um, do you have stock at your farm? like uh, animal animals? stock? Yeah, yeah, we raise poultry and swine. Okay. Um, I mean, is this something that you agree with? And do you think that this, the city is actually working toward this now? Uh, well, I think that that was kind of the plan of the incubator farm project. I just think that it was not inclusive enough. And, and that's what drew the ire of the institutions and myself personally is I don't think we need to recreate the wheel here. I think we can work with the farmers that are already here and devise plans that can help still bring new people in, but also try to build the grow the businesses that are already here, um, which I think if from the community assessment plan, there's only one farm that makes over $40,000 a year in Powell River. So, you know, there are a lot of small farms and we can create economic development with these farms instead of going to a new project. Okay. Do you have anything else to add before we uh, take a break here? I, I don't have anything off the top of my head right now. We could, we could probably go on about this for quite a few Yeah, I'm sure we could talk for a long time. Yes, I think so. I know, just thanks for having me. Well, thanks so much for coming in. I really appreciate that. Okay, yep, thanks a lot. We'll be right back after this with uh, Chris Roberts from Oak Over Organic Oysters. You're listening to DJ Kenny on CJMP 90.1 FM, powered by Community Radio. To the first half of this show, we talked to, uh, uh, excuse me, Rob Gilchrist, who was just leaving the studio. Um, and earlier last week, we talked to uh, Chris Roberts from Oakover Organic Oysters. He's also a farmer. Um, now, something that's different, and you can stay if you'd like. You don't have to. Um, something that's different for, um, I think, f- uh, terrestrial farmers, if you will, uh, versus shellfish farmers or something is that uh, you can't process locally here, right? And I'm going to just, since you're here still, um, <laughs> this is an issue that is different, right? Uh, and it's also an issue with farming, and it was something that I addressed again in front of the city, is we're, we can't export product outside of the regional district. So 
and we can only kill up to a thousand animals. So, well, small animals. So a thousand chickens, I think it's per like, year. Yeah, per year. So, you know, that really limits us in our capacity to build a, a large business plan to make something sustainable. Um, and I know with shellfish farmers that they actually have to send their product to Vancouver Island. They can't do direct sales. Right, right. So, okay, well, I'm going to play this interview and then we'll be back after this. Chris Roberts, and um, I'm an oyster farmer with Oak Over Organic Oysters. And so Oak Over has uh, got that nice, beautiful uh, signage. There's a, I think there's a gate with a sign that says uh, Oyster Capital of Canada. Yeah. So why can't we buy oysters in Oak Over? Now, that's a strange uh, question. Basically, we're not allowed to buy oysters in Oak Over because the Canadian Food Inspection Agency says that we're not allowed to sell directly. There are no farm gate sales with oysters or any shellfish, for that matter. How long yeah. has it been like that? Forever, as, that I know of. Um, you know, certainly we've been in the business for 20 years, and um, it's always been that way for us. Okay. You're not allowed to sell directly. Yeah. Um, well, and I, I wanted to invite you here um, to talk a bit about that. Um, talk about maybe possibly a, a processing plant opening, but it's not really affecting your business because this mm. would be a prawn plant. Okay. Um, yeah, basically for us, everything has to go to the city. It just goes straight to Vancouver. That's where our major market is. There is no real market here in Powell River for local product. There, you know, a regular restaurant, even in the city, sells maybe five to ten dozen of a person's oysters per week. So, we sell hundreds of dozens to the city, and they get parceled out from the processing plant. Um, so if we were to have the ability to sell here, say Coastal would sell, would buy five dozen a week or ten dozen. So it's not really, uh, it would never make a, a big part of our business to be able to sell here, but it would be nice. So they all go to Vancouver, uh, Granville Island, is it? Yeah, our, we, we deal with Lobsterman and Granville Island, and basically everything goes there. And then, like I said, most of the small stuff gets parceled out within the city. And maybe Victoria, maybe as far away as Calgary. But other than that, uh, everything large that we sell goes to Asia. Wow. Yeah. And what are you growing exactly or selling? Uh, we sell Pacific oysters and manila clams, but mostly Pacific oysters. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you hear locally from people here that they wish they could buy everyone? Your yes, yes. A lot of people would love to be able to buy our oysters. Yeah, it's a, a strange thing. Uh, so you're also part of AMA, which is a local organization, um, the Active Malaspina Mariculture Association. Um, can you tell me about, I guess, what does AMA do here? Basically, we're the eyes and ears and mouthpiece for the local industry. We we sort of mediate between local people if they have issues with oyster farms, um, either placement or um, them being dirty things. Uh, we deal with the complaints and try and do our best that way. We also uh, we do our own monitoring of algae, the harmful algae that's in the inlet, and we make our members aware of when things are happening and when things aren't. Okay. So we basically do algal toes with a fine sieved net and we take a look at what's in there and we can tell whether there's PSP related algaes in there or they're 
three different types of harmful algaes that we deal with. And ASP, DSP, and PSP. Oh, my word. What are, what are those? Uh, amnesiac uh, shellfish poisoning, diuretic shellfish poisoning, and paralytic shellfish poisoning. So that's a volunteer or voluntary um, monitoring thing that AMA does for the coast? Uh, yeah. Basically, we have um, members that know, well, we ourselves know what the harmful algaes look like, and if we look through the microscope, we can see them, so uh, it's easy enough. The government does do testing bi-weekly, uh, weekly in the summertime when it's more prevalent, and bi-weekly the rest of the year, and they sort of give us a basis point for uh, whether it's actually in the water or not, and it sort of alerts us to the fact that we should be looking. In the summer, we look more often because it is more uh, a summer problem or warm water problem. So we're kind of we're talking about climate change on this episode. So this is, I guess, uh, coincidental maybe that mm-hmm. we're talking. Um, because, I mean, the pipeline announcement came through this week, uh, mm-hmm. big news for the coast, and, um, you know, we're t- talking to a climate scientist as well. Um, I, have you been noticing any increased algae in the last few years? You've been doing this? No, stra- strangely enough, it's kind of turned around. We had before the, well, three years ago, and the five years before that three years, um, we had fall closures for PSB that lasted from September up to even February in one one of those years. Um, so two, three, four-month periods where we were closed for PSB. Uh, that hasn't happened in the last three years at all. We've had counts that have uh, come close to us being closed, and in those instances we actually preemptively close ourselves because we're looking, and um, we can see whether... The testing station is sort of centralized for the inlet, and we live at the far end, sort of the warm water end of, of Oakover, and we've found through the years that our count is far different from where the testing station is. So, oh, interesting. Yeah, so we've it's allowed us to basically, we close ourselves. We, we get a count from the government, and then we start looking, and if our... Uh, reckoning is different from what the government says there is in the water. We will just close ourselves just for safety. So in terms, you're monitoring yourself, but you're, yet you're still having to send all your stuff to the island for, for, for to Vancouver mm-hmm. for processing. Um, it flies in the face of, of what's reasonable, really, because um, we do a better job at it than the government is doing, yeah. uh, in our eyes, anyway. We're certainly safer. Is your group trying to lobby at all to um, be able to sell here? Or is, like you said, they're, they're, the market's not here, so why try? Or No, we've, we've talked about it. We've talked about forming, um, I don't know if you know anything about the meat processing in the area, but it used to be that people had, um, were able to, ab- uh, they were able to slaughter their own farm animals, say chickens, pigs, whatever. And um, the government put in a, a, a rule, a regulation, CFIA put in a rule that everything had to go through a centralized abattoir so they could maintain safety and whatnot. And the local farmers got together with Nick Simons and they worked on a plan to take basically knowledge and make it known and uh, work with that so that the local farmers, if they proved that they could um, you know, safely 
monitor themselves that they could harvest their own meat. So it took about five years of wrangling and whatnot for them to be able to do that. Now for meat, everyone eats meat, so there is a market for local meat. There's a huge market for local meat, and it's no problem for all the local farmers that I know of at any rate for them to sell their, their product locally. For us, um, it would mean little in our pockets for, um, as well, local people can go and harvest their own shellfish if they choose to. They can go to the Walmart or wherever, Taws or, uh, I shouldn't say that. Walmart? Yeah, yeah. Can you buy oysters at Walmart? No, but you can buy a license to go harvest Oh, them. okay, I see. So you can go anywhere and pick up a, a local fishing license and go out and harvest your own clams and oysters. So there's a difference between meat and, and shellfish in that respect, I guess, for the... That, that was the thing I wanted to ask you is, um, I mean, we require all these um, restrictions for farmers who are certified, mm -hmm. and yet we are giving licenses to people who are going um, and getting their 15 limit on the beaches here that haven't really been tested for anything, of course. I mean, you can check the website, the DFO website, and see if there's any right. um, warnings, I guess. But, yeah, I mean, there's a definite, definite contradiction there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can take um, anyone can go out and harvest whenever they want and uh, if they're not checking themselves then they could be harming people you know killing <laughs> killing themselves with their shellfish yeah so you, you mentioned that Emma um, described it as the caretakers of the shoreline and I, I like that line if you go I guess if you visit your um, the place where you're doing business it's, it's a beautiful spot and you know of course keeping that going for generations is probably very important. Yeah, definitely. We like to have um, a clean area to grow shellfish in. You need impeccably clean water to grow shellfish. It's, um, it's the most important thing. They're filter feeders, so they're constantly sieving water through themselves and uh, acting like the net that we collect algae with. They Basically, they're filtering out whatever's in the water. So if there are toxins or garbage or, you know, oil, whatever in the water it's not going to help us out we need very clean water so okay so they wouldn't necessarily clean up bad water uh ama doesn't no 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 they, uh the oysters oh certainly they do they're used in in new york harbor they're using them they've got i think eight million oysters were put in new york harbor to filter the water they're cleaning the they're basically they're used they're they are cleaning the ocean. They're used that way all over the place. Okay. Yeah. So maybe that's a takeaway from this conversation. Uh, if you see any beaches along uh, the coast here in Paul River, maybe th dump some oysters in? Well, <laughs> it could be used, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's a stretch. Yeah, they won't grow everywhere. They like, um, they like warmer water, so Oak River's a good place for them. You're listening to DJ Kenny on CJMP 90.1 FM, powered by Community Radio. And we are back, and the interview just heard was with Chris Roberts of Oak Over Organic Oysters. And um, if you're confused a little bit, we did the interview last week, so we were talking about pipelines at last week's show. Um, and also the processing plant that I mentioned um, at the beginning of that interview, um, it sounds like it's too early to even mention, so I shouldn't have mentioned it, uh, but that might be opening back up in Lund. So, Well, let, let's hope so, because uh, we've had 
there's been processing plants and they've closed and there's another one and they're closed and there's a backwards and forwards and that's really something that needs to be put together in the land area hmm. well so okay roger yes. i'm moving my mic so i get to see you um so you were a shellfish farmer for many years out there yes right? i was yeah and when did you retire um essentially in the last couple of years okay yeah um i mean yeah, i have a question for you maybe not, not have seen this on the on the um, script i'm looking for it um <laughs> I'm waiting with bated breath. Any any comments about the interviews that we we've, we've been doing today or heard? Um, well, I I actually didn't really uh, because we were still talking to Rob in the studio here about the st- <laughs> the problems of farming. Here's here's my question to you. Okay, does the limitation to not be able to sell locally for shellfish did that have any decision on you um, getting out of the farming business? Oh no, absolutely not because uh, it was actually very difficult to sell locally and even if we did uh the market was so limited um and our production was pretty big that we actually had to go somewhere else and seeing we were in business for you know 25 years basically uh we just ended up developing a reputation out there and uh ended up with as much as we could produce we could sell Hmm. Uh, but it all has to be shipped out of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the local market is was way too small for our production levels, and uh, I can understand the frustration here of not, you know, you have the ability to get up to large production levels, but then you're hampered by, oh, you can't send you you can't process meat and send it out of the areas. Like, well, why not? Mm-hmm. Which Ro- Rob was talking about while we were off air. Well, and I think, I mean, it sounds like Chris was saying that it's not really a problem for them not to sell locally, like in terms of business-wise, um, but like, w- why not be able to sell to local people if you can, if they want it? That's my thing. I, you know well, what? I just want to buy the, the shellfish uh, or if I don't pick it up myself. You know what I mean? Uh, for, lo- for locally, well, the, the, uh, the actual restrictions are uh, that you ha- it has to go through a license and processing facility, which... Uh, Sometimes just means, you know, walking something through the door, getting a separate tag put onto it, and it walks out the door again, um, which is pretty weird. But anyway, uh, there used to be a uh, provincial uh, license which you could get to having a small operation going there. But they've, you know, as many other things, they've made it increasingly difficult to actually obtain one of those or put one of those actually into place on your farm you know you know it's all the water quality testing you have to do and that's for the actual plant i'm not talking about the water quality mm-hmm. of the ocean itself mm-hmm. whatever so you have to have you know chlorinated water for washing stuff down and blah 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 so it becomes actually pretty onerous financially especially on a small scale mm. okay well keep talking about these issues yeah, we will thanks yeah for your insight as well yeah it's great i mean it's really good to support uh, local farming and i understand you know a lot of the frustrations involved with it um i will be a tiny bit critical in the fact being some people go into it without actually having enough foreknowledge about the whole thing and being underfinanced, but uh th- yeah that's it <laughs> 
All right. Well, we're going to keep moving on. Um, we had uh, Martin Woolley from the CRC, the Community Resource Center, came into town, came into town, came into the <laughs> station this week <laughs> to talk about their expanded hours. And, and while he was here, we asked him uh, why they're expanding. So we sat down with uh, Martin Woolley, and here he is. So you're here. Um, you're the manager of the CRC Community Resource Center. What are you seeing right now at the Community Resource Center, and, and why are you expanding your hours? We're expanding hours. It was actually a motion that was put forward to, uh, to the PrEP Board, which is our umbrella organization, and it was based on uh, a report that we wrote saying that we are seeing elevated use of the center, and not a little bit. We're seeing close to 30% more use at the community resource center. So people using our, our food resources, people using our phones, the internet, um, and just general attendance at the center, which, which signifies need. So previously what we've had is four days a week, Monday through Thursday, and we've now expanded hours to include Friday and Saturday. So you've got 30% more people. What does that look like on a day-to-day? -day? Like how many people is that? When I started two and a half years ago, I guess I, I used to see on a, on a good solid day, we'd see 85 to 90 people. And now we're seeing close to 110, 120, and sometimes even higher than that on a regular day. Um, so special events are always, always big at the CRC. So turkey lunches and, and uh, summer barbecues and whatnot, when we can provide them, uh, are always well attended. But truthfully, just for a regular day, we are seeing a, a really elevated use of the center. And who are these people? Power of Rights. They're, they're folks from your community, right? So um, there's a vision that, that people are coming from out of town and needing these services, and it's not. They're, these are your neighbors, and these are the people that, that live here and have, in a lot of cases, lived here long term. And um, what kind of need are you seeing? Uh, typically food. Uh, is a big one. So food in this community, making sure that everybody has enough to eat is always a huge issue, um, but also uh, services in and around legal aid or uh, just e using email to email a family member somewhere. Um, general comfort is sometimes a lot, especially in the colder weather, just being able to sit by the fire and have a cup of coffee is usually fairly important. Does it change the kind of work that you're doing at the CRC with the expanded hours and the amount of people that are coming in? I, I tell you that the, the type of work is the same. We're just doing more of it. Right. So it's creative problem solving in a town that doesn't have uh, a shelter program. Uh, and I, I'd love to say yet, but uh, but in a town that doesn't have a shelter program, trying to find housing, emergency housing for people has always been a challenge. Um, and there are some resources, but not nearly enough for what we're seeing. So we do spend a lot of time with folks in and around their housing. Um, and it sounds like you're like the front lines almost of people who are homeless in Powell River. Is that true? Would you say that's true? Well, there's, there's some different programs. So to, to give credit where credit's due, there is a program called Housing Hope uh, that has been founded here in, in Powell River. And they, they do what they can with the budget they have. Um, but when you talk about accessibility, the ability to come and walk through my door um, is a real benefit to a lot of folks. So just being boots on the ground and, and be accessible is, is always an asset. You said something about like you you there's a connection from our streets here to the downtown east side. Can you mention about that? Like what mm, you, what very much mean? so. So so I guess what, I've been talking with community health, but uh, basically what we talk about is the fact that um, the trends that you see in Vancouver. So if you see a, a rash of overdoses in Vancouver. Um, typically, it's about a, a week to a week and a half before we see that type of activity here. It's, that's the timeline to, to have those products show up in Powell River. So two weeks ago now, we saw a rash of overdoses on the downtown east side in Vancouver, and we are now seeing that, that type of activity here in uh, in Powell River, so much so that Community Health has agreed to uh, train staff there with uh, um, 
the administration of Narcan kits or naloxone kits um, and, and just really being a community presence and, and being focused on safety in and around that. Uh, so if, if someone is interested in, in getting one of those kits, um, how do you do that? Uh, typically what I would suggest is phoning community health and talking to them about why you'd like the kit or why you think it's an asset to you uh, or to your business. Uh, and then they are purchasable through your local pharmacy uh, where you will receive training. Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Martin, for being here. Can you um, remind us again of your new hours? Oh, of course. Yeah. So we're open for Monday brunch uh, starting at 10 on Mondays. And then Tuesday through Friday, we are open noon till 4. And then right after the Saturday winter market at the CRC from 1 till 4 on Saturdays. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And here's a little bit of music to get on with. And just a reminder that you are listening to CJMP News here on CJMP 90.1 FM and live streaming at cjmp.ca, Powell Rivers Community Radio Station. Uh, if you are one of those few who love to come into the station for happy hour on Tuesdays, we are in hiatus until the spring, so save your ideas for then. Um, and we'll let you know when we're going to be starting back up. This weekend, I've got some plans. <laughs> you know what I'm doing, Roger? No, what are you doing, Gary? <laughs> I'm going to check out the Santa train. Oh. <laughs> Uh, if, this, if you're looking for the hottest thing to do in town, it's at the fairgrounds. <laughs> <laughs> From 5 to 8 p.m., December 9th and 10th, you can ride the Santa train and bring a perishable, non-perishable food item with you. You can do it for free. For the food bank? Yep. Oh, good. Good thing. Yep. And um, one more thing I wanted to mention, um, Powell River Film Festival Early Bird tickets are available now uh, until Christmas. So if you are attending the film festival in February next year, you can buy a ticket now. It'll be five days of films, two great parties, live music, special guests, and the premiere of the movie The End of the Road, which is directed by Ty Ullman and Teal Angel, and live performance by Rick Scott. So and I bought those that's $75 for those tickets, is it? Yes, for, yeah, okay. for five days of films. Oh, there we go. Exhausting. <laughs> Now let's look at uh, what's coming up in arts news for the week. This is Coastal Color, brought to you by Rabbit Eye. Welcome back to Coastal Color with me, Rabbit Eye, for CJMP News. This is local arts news for this week and a little bit beyond the December 9th edition. If you are an annual member of Powell River Community Radio Society, CJMP 90.1 FM, and have not renewed your annual membership since November 24th, your membership has now lapsed. Go to cjmp.ca slash membership to renew it for only $10 for the year, or become a sustaining member today at cjmp.ca slash sustain for as little as $5 a month. An art show called Willingdon by David Molyneux is ongoing until December 11th from 
from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. It is free to attend. It's at the Space Gallery, 4712 Marine Avenue. The film Doctor Strange in 3D and 2D opens on Friday, December 9th, goes on till Thursday, December 15th at the Patricia Theater, 7 p.m. nightly and 1.30 p.m. on weekends. Matinees are in 2D. There are carols by Candlelight happening Friday and Saturday, December 9th and 10th at Dwight Hall. The Academy of Music has tickets. There's a live stage play called Robin Hood and the Babes in the Woods starting on December 9th, going on till the 10th, 11th, and repeating on 16th, 17th, and the 18th of December. Friday and Saturday times are 7 p.m., Sundays at 1.30 p.m. At the Recreation Complex at the Evergreen Theater, Theater Now presents this 2016 Christmas pantomime, Robin Hood and the Babes in the Wood, by Ben Crocker. Thanks to a grant from Powell River Council for the Arts and Culture and Heritage, they will present this family-friendly, hilarious British pantomime the second and third weekends of December at the Evergreen Theater, directed by Des Hosey and featuring a cast of familiar and new faces. Sheep in Heavenly Peace, a children's Christmas musical, is happening at the Evangel Pentecostal Church, 5139 Manson Avenue, on Sunday, December 11th to 6.30 p.m. It is free. There is a Sunday Song Circle happening at Cranberry Hall on Sunday, December 11th from 2 to 5 p.m. Come sing and play songs in an informal gathering once a month on Sunday afternoons. Everyone is welcome, even if you just want to come along and to listen and uh, have a drink or snack. This is hosted by Pat Buckner. There are life drawing sessions every Tuesday, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. $10 drop in. If you'd like to be a model, they pay $40 for two hours. Call 604-483-8994 or email royart at telus.net. This happens at the Powell River Academy of Music. Transmission, new works by Autumn Sky, opens on Thursday, December 15th, goes on till Sunday, December 18th at Space Gallery, 4712 Marine Avenue. This is featuring original paintings, sculptures, and pop-up shop of new products and inspiring gifts by Autumn Sky Morrison. Core Musica Christmas happens on Thursday, December 15th, 7.30 p.m. It's $18 at the Power River Academy of Music. Join Core Musica in a celebration of holiday favorites. You can phone 604-485-9633 or visit powerriveracademy.org for details and online tickets. There is a Weaving 101 workshop happening on Saturday, December 17th from 3 to 6 p.m. at 32 Lakes Coffee Roasters out in Townsite, the old Bank of Montreal building. It's $120 per registration. Spaces are limited. Please register at 32 Lakes Cafe. This three-hour introductory course will cover everything you need to know to create your very first woven wall hanging. All supplies included in the registration fee. For more information, you can go to their Facebook event. Cranberry Community Hall Coffee House happens on Saturday, December 17th at Cranberry Hall. Performance sign up between 7 and 7.30 p.m. Show starts at 7.30 p.m. Admission is by donation. $5 is suggested. Acoustic musicians, storytellers, poets, comedians, and friends. The annual community Christmas carol sing-along with Santa and Mrs. Claus, song leader Roberta Pearson, and organist Jim Dixon on the Theater Organ will be on Sunday, December 18th, 2 p.m. Admission is by donation. Again, this is at the Patricia Theater. The film Sing in 3D and 2D opens on Wednesday, December 21st, goes on till Thursday, December 29th at the Patricia Theater at 7 p.m. nightly, except the 24th and 25th of December, and 1.30 p.m. matinees on the 24th and 26th. They are closed on December 25th. Come visit the pop-up library and shop for original 8x8-inch artwork from the Anonymous Art Sale. This is original work just for $88. Supports the new library collection and local artists. Open Tuesdays through Thursdays from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. It is free. Obviously, it's free to, to go into the library. Uh, above the new library space at Crossroads Village is where this is happening. Bluesbusters Ron C. and Bluesbusters Jam Session happens every Wednesday at 8 p.m. There's no cover. This happens at TC's Pub at the Town Central Hotel. The Malaspina Art Society group show Women and Water with Works for Sale goes on until December 20th. Opening hours at Vancouver Island University. The Banff Mountain Film Festival opens on Friday, January 6th. 
6th goes on until Saturday, January 7th. 5.45 is when the doors open. This happens at the Max Camera Theater in Brooks High School. More details as we get closer to the event. There's a call for artists for the Expose Yourself, an erotically themed multidisciplinary art exhibition. Deadline for submission of visual art and digital gallery is Saturday, January 21st, 2017 at midnight. You can email E-Y-E-X-H-I-B-I-T-I-O-N at gmail.com. The next Expose Yourself exhibition itself is March 17th to 19th, 2017, celebrating diversity through artist contributions, performance and workshops, and hilarious group art projects in Powerverse. And that is it for this week's Coastal Color Power Arts News. I am Rabbit Eye. Back to CJMP News. Okay, and we're just going to head out of here quick, but I want to say thank you. And thank you to you. Too. Okay. <laughs> You're Carrie Swiggum. I'm Roger Thorne. That was CJMP News. And here is Rabbit Eye coming up at 1.